0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.34 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 15th of December, 2021. Christmas is coming up fast, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dominant Herren. This is episode 518 of Bitcoin. And as a reminder, if you'd like to support me and the work that I do, you can always support the show through podcasting 2.0 applications. Oh yes, that enables you to stream me sats while you're listening to these dulcet tones of the podcast that is Bitcoin and It's also the way that I prefer to be supported by this community. Watching the Satoshi stream into my lightning node is a lot of fun. And it's more satisfying than anything else that I have out there for support, including my Patreon page, which is Bitcoin and Podcast over there on Patreon. If you'd like to support in dirty, filthy fiat, I'm not going to turn it away. Now, what's going on today? Well... Well, let's get into it because you know it's probably nothing, but crypto lender Leden raises seventy million dollars in a Series B round and readies a Bitcoin-backed mortgage product. Here we go. This is where I. This is what I was waiting for when it came to quote unquote DeFi, decentralized finance. In my opinion, is a financial instrument that is decentralized that actually provides something of value like buying a house, a car, a farm, a ranch, raw land, I don't know, an air fucking plane. I'm just saying, this is what I was waiting for. Caveat, I don't know. <sighs> I mean, I, 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 Ledin has been around for a while and they like some of the other lending Platforms that you can lock up BTC and you know get a loan um, there, or you can also like say you know give them some BTC, let them lock it up, and then they loan it out and give you payments. Now there's a couple of other platforms that are doing this. I think Unchained Capital has a product like this, pretty sure. And then there's another one, and I can't remember their name, but uh, they've been being raked over the coals because the Amount of money they pay you to loan out your Bitcoin continues to decrease. And Ledin is the exact same way. So they've been getting raked over the coals as well. Again, I don't have any sponsors for this show. So Ledin is not a sponsor. I'm just reading you the news. But this is dropping today by Michael Buleshi from Coindesk. Let's find out more about it. Cryptocurrency lending platform Ledin raised $70 million in a Series B funding round at a $540 million valuation and plans to use some of the capital for its new Bitcoin-backed mortgage product. 10T Holdings led the funding round, which included Golden Tree Asset Management, Raptor Group, and FJ Labs. 10T CEO Don Tapiro or Taperio, I I don't know, I can't pronounce it, will be joining Ledin's board of directors. Ledin said all of its existing investors also participated in the latest raise, which included billionaire hedge fund investor Alan Howard and Kingsway Capital. With its Bitcoin-backed mortgage loan, Ledin clients will be able to purchase real estate and use an equal amount of Bitcoin and property collateral as part of the mortgage loan. Ledden intends to make the product more broadly available to clients in the U.S. and Canada early next year. Ledden says there is a wait list for the product and aims to reach over $100 million in Bitcoin backed mortgage originations by the end of the first quarter of 2022. Quote Most people that hold extensive wealth in Bitcoin still can't utilize their assets to qualify for a mortgage at a bank, Ledden's co founder and CEO Adam Reed said in a statement. Ledden developed the Bitcoin backed mortgage product after seeing strong client demand. Ledden co-founder and chief strategy officer Mauricio Di Bartolomo told Coindesk. <clears throat> D Bartolomo said this is not having, or D said that not having to sell Bitcoin is key for holders of the cryptocurrency and that the mortgage product will be a great way to teleport some of that wealth from Bitcoin into the real world. Since the third quarter of 2020, Ledin has grown its assets by over 4,000%, exceeding $1.7 billion, according to the statement. The company has clients in 127 countries with 44% of its loan clients in Latin America, where it hopes to expand with help from the latest capital raise. So that's the end of the article. And I think a focus on Latin America is kind of pivotal at this point for all of you people that are going to be offering any kind of products that even remotely resemble this or services that remotely resemble this, I think you would do well to concentrate on Latin America. I, I, it's a, again, I, it's a gut feeling, but somehow or another, El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender you know, last, or earlier this year kind of sets my mind spinning in a direction that really seems to fo- be focusing on Latin America. Africa also needs to be focused on okay that that I'm not I'm not you know skating out of that or the Balkans Balkans or the Baltics and Eastern Europe and all that like I normally say but I think what's imperative right now considering what's going on in Europe the absolute totalitarianism the authoritarianism the fucking outright fascism that's spreading like a worse than the COVID or whatever you know beer virus it's it's Phenomenal. And I think that the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans are still going to act as a pretty good bulwark against that kind of encroachment because geographical barriers are very good in insulating things such as species, whether they be plants, animals, or political regimes. And if you don't want, if you do not want, that kind of shit to occur over here, then you better start focusing on financial freedom in Latin America where we have a situation where they are our neighbors and all of us in the Western Hemisphere are basically buffered by these gigantic bodies of water. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that it's easy, not easy to fly over. I'm just saying that it is a bit more difficult than just running some tanks you know, into your neighbors you know, across their border please consider focusing on Latin America. Also, um, this looks like a blended product. This mortgage is not only going to hold collateral, you know, the the BTC is collateral on the land. It's also going to hold at least part of the land as collateral as well. Okay. So you're kind of getting, I'm not going to say that you're getting screwed here, I think that they're just being very, very conservative as they roll out like a first-of-kind type of product. Is it the first-of-kind? I don't know, but I haven't really heard of just straight-up BTC-backed you know, mortgages. And this is also not a straight-up BTC-backed mortgage because the land is also going to be held in check. As we move forward and you know and and hopefully we get past this whole fear index being so freaking you know frightful um, they will actually come to find out that they don't actually need to hold the land in check and you can just do a purely btc-backed loan but you got to start somewhere and it doesn't surprise me one bit that they're being this conservative now block launches cash app feature allowing users to gift bitcoin Michael Belushi, was a Belushi, I think is how you pronounce it, from Coindesk, is writing this one. Payments firm Block, formerly known as Square, will allow its cash app users to gift as little as $1 in stock or Bitcoin, according to a tweet on Tuesday. Quote, it's easy as sending cash and you don't need to own stock or Bitcoin to gift it, the company said in its tweet. Block joins other companies that are offering similar features. In May, PayPal said that it was going to make third-party wallet transfers available for PayPal and Venmo users. Coinbase also has a gifting feature where users can send cryptocurrencies. Don't use Coinbase. Enemies of Bitcoin. I, I'm serious. They made all their money because of the existence of Bitcoin and they have done nothing but tried to shit all over it for their entire existence. Don't use it. If you want to use this feature, then at least consider using Square um, or the, cat, rather, the, the Cash app. In either event, uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, I have, you know, I don't know. What I do know, though, <clears throat> is that, you know... I really want to see Square start going balls deep into point of sale with Bitcoin for vendors and retailers and stuff like that. Why? Well, yesterday I had a discussion with one of the people that is at my local Thai restaurant. Um, I went in to order like, you know, pork fried rice or something like that. Yeah, I know it's rice. I get it. Stop screaming for all. Hey, meatheads i like beef too but every once in a while i like i like thai fried rice it's pretty freaking good any anyway, i pull out my debit card which is a visa card <clears throat> and give it to her knowing full well that i'm going to pay an extra four percent over the actual price of the meal that i ordered okay uh because i didn't have cash on me so i just you know and i, I it, it's she's got a sign hanging in, in uh, you know on front of the in front of the bar that says, "Hey, look, a credit card. If you're going to use a credit card, dude, you're going to pay four percent more. Sorry for you." And I know why. It's not like she's trying to be a dick or something like that. It's that they these little guys are being raked over the coals by Visa because they're held hostage be, because Visa knows that most people use credit cards and debit cards to pay for goods and services, even at the you know at a very small scale now. Therefore, they can pretty much tell the retailer to go get bent every time the retailer says you're taking too much money from us. So what do they do? They stack 4% on top of, the, of your purchase so that they can make some of that money back. That has a tendency to go against the terms of service of Visa. So people that do that need to be very, very careful. And these people are not being very careful. And I was reminded of that fact by some good folks uh, on Bitcoin Twitter, but be that as it may... I took that opportunity to ask her if they've ever considered using Bitcoin. And for a long time, I was reticent to not engage or reticent to engage in those conversations because, you know, I've been here like for a long time and those conversations generally spark laughter. You know, they'll point at you and laugh. They'll say something, you know, well, you know, it's it's bullshit. It's a scam. Not here. No, sir, there was nothing but genuine interest when I said, look, you know, do you have cash app on your phone? And she's like, yeah, we love cash app. And I'm like, start looking into how to use cash app to possibly, possibly allow me to give you Bitcoin for this goods and services. And also please consider looking into something called OSHI app, O-S-H-I app. She wrote that down. She had cash app. She knew, she knew knew what that was. She's got it on her phone. She doesn't need to write that shit down. Oh, she app. She immediately grabbed a piece of paper and she's like, how do you spell that? That's not getting pointed at and being laughed at. That is not being called, you know, not telling me that Bitcoin is a scam. That is the exact opposite. This is what I tweeted out. It was raw, genuine interest and there was no laughter. The next time you go to your town's vendor somebody that you visit a lot and they know you maybe not by name but they've seen you a lot and you know that they recognize you engage in that conversation mention the oshi app again i i'm, I'm hoping that square starts really marketing towards their vendors and providing better more useful and you know e- more easy to use tools for vendors to be able to generate a qr code and allow me to pay them in Bitcoin because that's exactly what I told her. I was like, look, man, if we were doing this in Bitcoin, Visa's not even in this. MasterCard's not in this. There's there's no processing, there's no processing payment at this point. And I mentioned the Lightning Network, but I was basically like, I didn't want that conversation to go beyond one minute. I kept I capped it at about one minute. I said, look, there's there's this thing called Lightning Network, but honestly. Just go look at OSHI app. If you have the time, if you have like, you know, like some downtime or whatever, grab your phone and search OSHI app and just look into it. And then maybe one of these days I'll walk in there and they'll say, if you want to pay in Bitcoin, you can. Anyway, moving on, United States Senator uh, candidate, Bitcoin can bring power back to the people. And this is written by Namcios from Bitcoin Magazine. Morgan Harper has begun her Bitcoin learning trajectory. The 38-year-old Senate candidate for Ohio is researching opportunities that the decentralized monetary network can bring to her constituency, namely a push for the decentralization of power, which she believes is overdue. Quote, One of the greatest problems in our society is too much power centralized in too few hands, which produces anti-competitive effects that entrench incumbents and prevent innovation. It shifts power to a select few, large cities and a few dominant players within each market and away from people in states such as Ohio, Harper told Bitcoin Magazine. The progressive Democrat entered the United States Senate race in August, seeking the seat held by Rob Portman, A Republican senator who announced in January that he would not seek re-election for a third term in 2022. Harper is up against Tim Ryan, a longtime Democratic congressman who has served 10 terms and leads in name recognition and campaign funding. Harper was born to a teenage mother and lived in a foster home for almost a year before being adopted and raised by a public school teacher. She graduated from Stanford Law School and served as a senior policy advisor at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. In a November 9th thread on Twitter, Harper explained that she first heard about Bitcoin during her time at the CFPB. Her curiosity has since increased, and the candidate has begun realizing Bitcoin's potential as a tool for individual financial empowerment. Quote, I'm intrigued by the concept of decentralized networks where we can have the benefits of network effects without concentrating power in the hands of a few people or corporations, Harper said, adding that so far she has had mostly or she has mostly focused on Bitcoin and its potential to disintermediate banks and to serve as a store of value. Harper said that for her state, Bitcoin could help create economic power and freedom for individuals so that the people of Ohio are less reliant on outsized corporations that stifle growth and innovation in a system rigged in their favor. Bitcoin has been very appealing to understand or underserved communities in countries like El Salvador and Nigeria, where clumsy and unequal financial systems prevent many people from obtaining even the most basic access to money and banking. The peer-to-peer monetary network aims to restore financial sovereignty by enabling anyone to store and transact value, irrespective of gender, skin color, or power status. By contrast, traditional banks put you at the mercy of arbitrary and often discriminatory policies. The banks are set up to favor the rich with preferred access and preferred terms, but a lot of working class people and Ohioans don't get those benefits. Instead, they get hidden overdraft fees and almost no return on their capital. Harper's interest led her to embark on a listening tour, seeking to learn more about what government officials could do to help promote innovation through public policies while also protecting investors. Although she is interested in Bitcoin and its potential, Harper said she does not hold BTC as she seeks to work without an investment bias. Oh, for fuck's sake. If you don't hold BTC, you have an investment bias. If you hold BTC, you also have an investment bias. I have an investment bias because I don't hold some company A. If I held stock in some company A, I have an investment bias. It works both ways. Get it through your head. It does not matter whether you hold an asset or you don't hold an asset. You have an investment bias. Just please understand that. Quote, politicians who buy and sell financial assets while wielding immense influence across sectors undermine our democracy and fuel people's distrust in the political process, she said. I want to get the law right for this asset class for the people of Ohio, not because I stand to gain financially. End quote. Harper will face Ryan in the Democratic primary on May the 3rd, 2022. Voters will elect only one member to the United States Senate from Ohio in the general election, which is scheduled for November of next year. Yeah, it's the midterm elections. Um, I don't know. What do I think about this? Generally speaking, I was raised conservative. But I'm getting to the point where I will literally vote for anybody that says the word Bitcoin and has good things to say about it. I know that's a terrible, that is a terrible attitude, but shit, what else can you do? I mean, it's like, I sure as shit ain't going to vote on, on, I'm not going to vote for somebody on anything else that they say. I'm not going to say, if Elizabeth Warren were to come out and say she's going to go up against Pfizer and, and big pharma, I don't believe her. The only thing that I, at this point that I can even hold on to is somebody that doesn't know squat about Bitcoin other than she or he is interested in it. And it looks like it has potential to do good. Honestly, that's the only thing that I can hold on to. That is the only thing that I can hold on to at this point because everything else is fucking fake. It's all fake. It's been fake. And the facade is now crumbling to the point where it's like. I can't lie to myself anymore. This shit needs to go away. Now, we had a brief glitch on CoinMarketCap yesterday. You want to hear about it? Well, Irhan Karaman has it from Cointelegraph. Bitcoin price briefly shows $870 billion per coin on (laughs) CoinMarketCap. Before I begin, there are a lot of people that use CoinMarketCap as their price oracle for their trading bots keep that in mind as we read through this crypto traders experienced a moment of joy followed by confusion when a glitch caused several data aggregators to briefly display enormous gains for bitcoin and uh coin market cap and several other price indices showed bitcoin's price closing to $900 billion as shitcoin1 showed over $81 billion. The momentary glitch also impacted Cointelegraph's price indices. Displayed numbers didn't affect the trading prices on exchanges and the platforms quickly solved the issue. CoinMarketCap explained on Twitter that the data provider is rebooting its servers as part of its remediation plan. God, remediation for fuck's sake. CoinMarketCap is now back to normal after an issue that affected our price rankings a spokesperson told Coin Telegraph adding that the investigation on the root cause of the glitch is still ongoing and no we didn't show you prices from 2026 we'd hold on that we'd hold on to that Lambo down payment in quote crypto twitter was quick to react to the unrealistic price movement with hilarious posts and yes they show some Actual hilarious post, but I'm not going to read them because it's not important. Quote, everyone tunes into those disruptions. So to the extent that they all use the same data source, Bosonic founder Rosario Ignacio explained, continuing, quote, so when there's a problem and prices are really off, that can create herd behavior and drive investment decisions. Remember what I was saying about uh, trading bots using CoinMarketCap as its price oracle? that can trigger a lot of liquidations on false premises because the trader isn't actually hanging out. It's just a pre-programmed algorithm that says, hey, what, look at the Oracle, is the price X? Okay, if the price is X, then please sell everything. If the price is not X or, or at some period you know, above or below, then execute this other function. Do you have any idea how dangerous that can be if the majority of the markets move on trading bots? And somebody hacks CoinMarketCap and changes all of the fucking prices. That is one hell of a way to manipulate a market. Don't trade Bitcoin. If you are trading Bitcoin and you are using a trading bot and your trading bot is using CoinMarketCap as its price oracle and you only have one price oracle, you're not going to make it. If you're trading Bitcoin at all, you're probably not going to make it. 99% 99% of the people that trade this market lose money. There are a very few, and I mean a very few amount of people that constantly and consistently make money because they are that good. But you've got to be not only that good, you've got to live on three hours of sleep because this market is 24 hours a day. Now, let's do this one, and this is going to be a little long, so I'm going to pause here for just a second. Drew McMartin from Bitcoin Magazine. Today's economy parallels Weimar Germany's hyperinflation, but now we have Bitcoin. All right, let's see if history will teach us some lessons. In the early 1920s, the value of the paper mark, the native currency of the Weimar Republic of Germany, lost almost all of its purchasing power causing tremendous instability within Weimar for many years as society tried to wrestle with the fact that tomorrow's money was worth less than it was today. Day after day, the currency was worth less and less, ultimately becoming a worthless piece of paper. The value of the currency fell quickly. A loaf of bread in Berlin that cost around 200 paper marks in January of 1923 had risen to 200 billion paper marks by November of, 20, or of 1923. The exponential de- decrease in the paper marks purchasing power can be seen by the value of one gold mark in paper marks. Some of the events which led to Weimar's hyperinflation bear a striking similarity to events happening today. To me, the most striking similarity is the rate of growth or the expansion in money printing, which would be the cash in circulation. Both the monetary base in Weimar, Germany from 1914 to 1923 and the M2 money supply in the United States form ski slopes, a very technical term for exponential expansion of the monetary supply. Printing money decreases in effectiveness over time because it's the law of diminishing returns. Printing money, like hard drugs, I'm told by a secondary source, is most effective in the beginning. After this, all future money printing, or hard drug highs, require you to print more money to achieve the same stimulus effect as the initial print. Printing new money in the short term can stimulate demand or economic benefit, pulling future demand to the present. Overprinting, on the other hand, is very bad for an economy as it devalues the currency and forces everything in goods and services to be repriced to the ever-increasing new money supply. In Weimar, Germany, in the 1920s, overprinting led to asset bubbles and the rapid increase in the value of many assets. I find Frau Eisenmeiger's, Austrian middle-class resident, his quote from 1919, very interesting, actually his, hers, it's Frau, her quote, quote, the value of my industrial investments is rising to an extent which seems to be incomprehensible and almost makes me uneasy, she said in De- on December 15, 1919, when money dies. Apparently, that's the, uh, uh, the book that it came out of. Today, we also see asset classes increasing in value at alarming rates. From the GameStop short squeeze in January 2021 to the rapid rise in the value of non-fungible tokens, the rate of growth of some of these investments seems rapid, excessive, and speculative in nature. An NFT that was worth $1,000 one month ago is worth $500,000 in the next. For the record, this isn't a critique of NFTs or if they have value. It is the rate of growth in some NFTs that I find alarming. Its speculative rise is telling and reminds me of this quote from the book, When Money Dies, which accounts for the hyperinflation of 1920s Weimar Germany. Quote, as old virtues of thrift, honesty, and hard work lost their appeal, everybody was out to get rich quickly, especially as speculation in currency or shares could palpably yield far greater rewards than labor, Adam Ferguson, When Money Dies as the currency of or value of currency declines the incentives to work and save your earnings in said currency also decline most residents subconsciously don't see a way to grow their wealth through working hard and saving anymore many resort to speculation to keep up with higher inflation burdens that push up their cost of living budget deficits is another similarity from weimar germany to today countries that print too much of their currency also tend to run a budget deficit Countries with budget deficit tend to print too much and vice versa, oftentimes creating vicious feedback loops like a microphone next to a speaker. To make up a deficit, a country can either increase production, raise taxes, or print more money to monetize the debt. Today, as experienced in Weimar Germany, we are seeing debt monetization to make up the deficit of surplus spending. Weimar Germany had to monetize their debt due to forced payment or reparations to the allies for losing World War I. Today, governments spend more than they earn or tax and grow their balance sheet at an increasing rate to make up the difference in their budget deficit. Worse than the printing and debt monetization, governments today, like Weimar Germany before it, don't seem to acknowledge that the printing is a bad thing. Or that printing money out of thin air even causes inflation beyond the word transitory. The conversation between U.S. President Joe Biden and Don Lemon of CNN on July 21, 2021 is telling, quote, You seem pretty confident that inflation is temporary, but you are pumping all of this money into the economy. Couldn't that add to inflation? Don Lemon. Quote, No. Look, here's the deal. Moody's Today went out. Wall Street firm. Not some liberal think tank. Said, if we pass the other two things I am trying to get done, we will, in fact, reduce inflation, reduce inflation, reduce inflation. Because we are going to be providing good opportunities and jobs for people who, in fact, are going to be reinvesting that money back in all the things we're talking about. Driving down prices, not raising prices. End quote. United States President Joe Biden. The lack of connection between money printers and inflation is eerily similar to 1920s Weimar Germany. Quote, the chancellor would accept no connection between printing money and its deprecation, and indeed, it remained largely unrecognized in cabinet, bank parliament, or press. Adam Ferguson, when money dies. For people today, most know their cost of living is going up, but it's hard to measure. When food, energy, and housing are excluded from the consumer price index calculations, one could argue that the CPI excluding essential cost of living items such as food, energy, and housing makes CPI an ineffective gauge for the true cost of living increases. Quote, cooked CPI numbers, coincidentally, was also a trait experienced in 1920s Weimar, Germany. Quote, there was such an alarming rise of the cost of living that to prevent agitation, the index had to be cooked. Adam Ferguson, when money dies. In what world is year over year inflation calculated at four to six percent measured as measured by CPI when food and housing prices are up more than 20 percent? Last time I checked, shelter and food are pretty good cost of living measures. Higher prices are caused by pulling too much future demand backward to the present. The system cannot cope with the demand, resulting in the higher cost and breakdowns in supply chains as the market readjusts and reprices to the new demand. Supply shortages and keeping store shelves fully stocked is becoming harder and harder in today's economy. Headlines are starting to read similar to that of Weimar Germany, where labor and supply shortages were commonplace during high inflationary years. Quote, many shops declare themselves to be sold out. Others close from 1 to 4 in the afternoon, and most of them refuse to sell more than one article of the same kind to each customer. The rush to buy is now practically over as prices on the whole have been raised to meet the new level of exchange. But on the whole, as far as Berlin is concerned, it is the Germans themselves who are doing most of the retail buying and laying in stores for fear of a further rise in prices or a total depletion of stock. Adam Ferguson, when money dies. I also understand and acknowledge the COVID lockdown narrative to shortages and that stopping and restarting an economy is not easy. Having said that, the persistence of the labor and supply shortages are now commonplace, in my opinion, not transitory. Supply chain breakdowns and shortages spill over to the labor markets as well. Quote, The present labor unrest is caused by the fall of the mark and the impending new taxation, both of which send the cost of living up. Adam Ferguson, when money dies. In Weimar, Germany, rising cost of goods, services, and assets led to a widening wealth gap between the rich and the poor. More and more wealth was concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. Today, the top 0.1% own the largest percentage of net worth net wealth since the 1920s and the 1930s. Higher inflation and concentration of wealth gave rise to political extremism in Weimar Germany. Quote, inflation is the ally of political extremism, the antithesis of order when money dies. Today, extremism is rampant. There are no longer ideas, there are sides. Left versus right. All of the similarities outlined in this article which are occurring today bear a striking similarity to the events of Weimar Germany. In my opinion, today's events are caused by the rapid decrease in the value of the circulating currencies. If history continues to rhyme, the events we are seeing today will get far worse before they get better. As a result, you need to protect your wealth by owning scarce assets that the government cannot print should the governments continue to devalue the currencies we use on a day-to-day basis. Scarce assets such as Bitcoin primarily. Other scarce assets being precious metal, agricultural and transportation, production, and real estate. Lawrence Leppard best summarizes why Bitcoin is the loudest monetary fire alarm in this quote. I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin, and unfortunately, a lot of people in the gold business don't take the time to understand and study Bitcoin, and they should. It's tricky because there are a lot of you-know-shit coins and other alternatives, there is a lot of pump and dump. Crypto is full of a lot of messy stuff that leads typical sound money investors to go, that's all bullshit. I'm not even going to look at it. That's the wrong conclusion. You should look at the core-based crypto out there, which is Bitcoin, and you should recognize what it is technologically. And what I would say that is, is an incredible innovation. Because if you think about what money is, money is nothing more than a ledger. I mean, before we had gold or currencies or anything else, we sat in caves and we kept score. I killed one bison, you killed two bison, you owe me one, etc, etc. Also quote, money is just a way of keeping track of who owes who, what, and if you can create a digital ledger that is immutable and can't be cheated on, that's arguably even sounder. Everyone can see it. Whereas, whereas with gold, they've managed to corrupt the gold price because the central banks have got control of the banks and the banks have control of the gold and they have created a lot of paper gold. So, in a sense, what that makes is it makes Bitcoin as the loudest monetary fire alarm in the system right now. Lawrence Leppard, interview with David Lynn of Kitco News. During high inflation environments, the value of a currency is worth less and less each day, ultimately becoming worthless. The majority of the population loses a large percentage of their wealth in these high inflation environments, restarting again at zero. The stakes are high to learn what has happened in the past, so we do not repeat the same mistakes in the present. That will do it for the Drew McMartin article, which was very long, and I understand that. And I definitely skated over into Guy Swan's uh, space, and I do apologize for that. But I couldn't let this one go because we are looking square in in the mirror that is the Weimar Republic. And it's not just the United States, okay? If, If you're in Canada and listening to this, you've got problems. If you're in the UK and you're listening to this, you have problems. If you're in the European Union and you are listening to this, you have problems. And all Argentina is probably about to completely fail economically from a couple of things that I read yesterday. This will be their third time on the chopping block, as far as I can remember. All, right, all of the Latin American countries, they ain't exactly in a good position except for El Salvador. Again, if you have goods and services, and you are not looking at the Latin American market, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult going forward. Please, for the love of God, take Latin America seriously. Please take it seriously. And now we shall run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities. Uh, right now, we are in futures territory because the markets haven't opened yet. Flammable liquids having a hard time today, a one point, uh, 1.24 to the downside for West Texas Intermediate, down below $70 for the first time in quite a while. Brent North Sea, likewise, down a point, $72.09. Natural gas however is up 3.2% to $3.86 per 1000 cubic feet. Gasoline down over 1% to $2.08 a gallon. Gold and all the rest of the precious metals or shiny metal rocks as we like to call them are down. Gold is down a quarter of a point to 1768 bucks. Silver is down over well over a point to $21.64. Platinum is down two points. Copper is down two and three quarters of a point. Palladium is down over four percentage points. Agricultural futures are mixed, and your biggest loser today is wheat, down 2.19%. It looks like the largest winner so far is going to be chocolate, uh, just over 1% to the upside Dow futures down a third, S&P futures down a quarter, NASDAQ futures down almost a half point, S&P mini down three quarters of a point. Real money, again, also struggling as usual, $47,286 for a price of one Bitcoin Two hundred and eighty-three thousand transactions were performed in the last twenty-four hours, which is just under twelve hundred tra- or twelve thousand transactions per hour. Six hundred and forty thousand BTC have changed hands in the last day. That's twenty-six thousand seven hundred BTC every hour on the hour. With two point two six BTC as the average transaction value, median transaction value is zero point zero one five BTC, or just under seven hundred dollars. Block times are pegged at exactly 10 minutes and 0 seconds with 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 12.24 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 3.54% rise in hash rate, we are back up to 173.6 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, which got a 20% price bump because that idiot Elon Musk started saying that he was going to take it for merch, has fallen back to 17.6 United States pennies. Fuck that dog. Transactions. We have 2,163 of them waiting on two blocks to clear. We're under $900 billion in market cap but still retain 7.65% of gold's entire market cap. And we can, if we so choose, buy 26.5 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,901,616.5. 3,289.5 and a half of those are locked up in the lightning network valued at $154.5 million being run over 18,637 nodes. And today we now have 82,087 payment channels. 75.3% of all that is being run over Tor on 11,476 nodes. That's gonna do it for vitals. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get through the fear index. <clears throat> Bitcoin market enters extreme fear territory ahead of Fed meeting. I thought the Fed meeting was going to happen uh, yesterday, but apparently it's happening today. I, I don't know why I screwed, or I don't know why I was thinking that. But anyway, um, this is Namcios writing for Bitcoin Magazine. The Bitcoin market has tiptoed into extreme fear territory as the Federal Reserve prepares to meet today. Wednesday to decide its next move regarding interest rate and quantitative easing policies. BTC is trading around 48,000 at the time of writing nearly 30% below its November all-time high of 69 69 K. The fear and greed index analyzes market sentiment and emotion from different sources to crunch a number from zero to 100. The closer the index is to its lower bound, the more fearful the market is at the moment. The inverse is true for greed. When people begin purchasing Bitcoin out of fear of missing out, the metric is currently at 16, however, denoting extreme fear. As mainstream media reports expectations for the Fed's meeting, citing a reasonable probability that the central bank will attempt to curb inflation through a faster interest rate hike, financial markets stand ready to switch its investment thesis Although the move isn't likely to come until next year, the Fed has been moving quickly to prevent consumer prices from soaring well above its 2% target. The market expectation for a faster wrap-up of asset purchases isn't speculative. At the end of last month, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that the central bank's bond-buying program could end sooner than planned amid rising inflation rates and a more robust U.S. economy. Powell added that he and his fellow policymakers would discuss whether it would be appropriate to wrap up our purchases a few months earlier. However, tapering is just part of this deal, and an increase in interest rates is the natural follow-up action. Ever since the beginning of the pandemic, the Fed has kept interest rates near zero in an attempt to further increase market liquidity and economic relief to participants although that dynamic prompted investors to seek riskier assets as their traditional investments couldn't yield big profits any longer if the fed raises interest rates quickly and before anticipated the broader market is expected to switch to risk off mode and plug into safer investments as the risk reward ratio favors traditional money-making strategies for most investors bitcoin is still considered a risky investment Although the Digital Monetary Network has demonstrated time and again its ability to shield investors from inflation and loose economic policies that enable true financial sovereignty for those who can't access traditional banking, its early stage in the adoption curve and status as a young development has many remaining skeptical. As a result, a broader risk-off movement is expected to affect the Bitcoin market as well. It's unclear. Whether this would play out, however, as Bitcoin has demonstrated an ability to swiftly recover from somewhat harmful events. After China banned Bitcoin mining and then Bitcoin trading, the network is now stronger than before and has even more hash rate power backing its consensus protocol. An eventual sell-off in Bitcoin caused by a more aggressive take by the Fed might end up having the same result, a sharp upside after irrational fear is flushed out of the market. Again, by Nomsios, Bitcoin Magazine, we've got to address it. Because if the, if the Federal Reserve does, you know, acts the way that Jerome Powell has been acting um, and ceases bond, pay, uh, bond repurchases and all that, yeah, but see, here's the deal. If you raise interest rates on the bonds, the price of the bonds are going to drop. So all the people that are holding bonds right now are going to get fucked. So what happens if they decide to just start selling bonds hand over fist so that they can punch out okay this is this is not going to be good. no matter what they do, it's not going to be good. And I just i while I could see a short-term downturn in the price of Bitcoin because of it, I think Namcios is right. I think it's going to be flushing the fear out of the, you know down the toilet, and then we're going to have to wait. And yes, I know I'm I'm kind of sick of waiting too. But the markets can remain irrational longer than you can stay liquid. All right, so that's just a rule of all the markets. And even I don't trade. And even I mean I don't trade. And even I know that shit. So it depends on if you're asking me at this point, what should I do? I'd just huddle and wait and mine some kind of fiat job for its fiat bullshit and stack as hard as I fucking can. Because at one point or another, this this attitude, I mean, even if the Fed does what they say they're going to do, will Europe? Will Canada? I mean, how much control does the Federal Reserve have over every single country's market in the world? Will they all follow suit? Will they all fall in line? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Again, which is why I keep looking at Latin America, because the only people that are probably not going to follow suit is Latin America, with the exception of Mexico. Mexico will definitely fall in line. But as for the rest of them, maybe Brazil. I could see Brazil falling in line along with Mexico, but the smaller Latin American countries, nope, no, they're probably not going to fall in line. But we got other fish to fry. Bitcoin sheds dumb money as retail buys most BTC since March 2020 crash. So this is in direct opposition to the fear index. William Suberg is going to confuse us further from Cointelegraph. Don't worry, I like Bill. I'm just saying that we're coming off this fear and greed index and we're coming here into this evidence that uh, people are, are just buying Bitcoin hand over fist. Let's get into it, BTC is back in fashion, for regular investors anyway, at 48,000 as data confirms the biggest buying spree since March of 2020. In a tweet on December 14th, statistician Willy Woo eyed a key trend that had previously been absent from the Bitcoin market for over 18 months. After crashing to 3,600 in March of 2020, BTC was a hot pick for those able and willing to invest, and now that phenomenon is back. The changes in balances for wallets holding one BTC or less, typically suggesting small scale investors, have reached their highest since March of 2020. While the circumstances remain the same, the major difference at the end of 2021 is that Bitcoin cost $48,000 and not $3,600. Nonetheless, If the retail accumulation data is accurate, interest is surging. Quote, the last time retail bought the dip this hard was at the bottom of the COVID crash, Wu commented. As Cointelegraph reported last week, larger existing hodlers continue to exhibit mixed behavior at current price levels. Despite selling by some, the top tier whales are more cautious about divesting away from BTC. Meanwhile, the proportion of long-term investors has reached a record high versus short-term market participants. According to the so-called Smart Money Gap Indicator, consisting of data from on-chain analytics firm Glassnode, there has never been a greater disparity between the amount of BTC held by smart and dumb money, long-term versus short-term buyers. Throughout Bitcoin's history, local peaks in the metric have heralded the start of price bull runs signifying local price bottoms. The numbers support the narrative that Bitcoin's near 40% come down from 69,000 all-time highs flushed out speculative market bets. Well, I hope so. And I hope it did so at a time that they weren't with, with not enough time for them to jump back in at these prices so that they can do it all again. When Jerome Powell opens his fricking mouth today, cause I have no idea what that old man is going to say, but no matter what he says, somebody's going to sell the fucking news and I'm getting sick of it. I am. It's sell the news. Oh, let's look. Bitcoin backed mortgages. Hey, that's good news. No, it's not. It's just news. Sell bitch. Anyway, uh, let's see who we have on ne- on deck is uh, Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule writing for Bitcoin Magazine. NUPL analysis shows Bitcoin market in healthy state of unrealized profit. In a November monthly report, we talked about the net unrealized profit and loss, or the NUPL indicator, showing the market in a healthy state of unrealized profit compared to previous cycles. We can further break down that indicator into short-term HODLer and long-term HODLer groups. As far as short-term HODLers, one of the biggest near-term concerns is that there are increasing unrealized losses in the market. As price continues to range below the short-term HODLer cost basis of around 53 grand, there's a rising risk that more of the new buyers capitulate and sell their Bitcoin at a loss, driving the price lower. This can be a bear market forming or an opportunity for hodlers to buy cheaper Bitcoin. Periods of sustained short-term holder capitulation spark new bear markets as new short-term holder buying is the main bull cycle driver yet. We can see in many bull market dynamics that the rising unrealized losses of short-term holders is common and can be short-lived as long as long-term holders have conviction waiting out for higher prices. This is a different story for long-term holders who seem fairly comfortable and largely in a healthier state of profit at the current price relative to the realized price or their cost basis. So far, with the latest price drawdown, long-term hodler supply is in a slightly declining to neutral state. There's there's healthy, not excessive profit-taking right now, signaling a market on hold in a ranging and consolidating state. So Dylan LeClaire, Sam Rule also adding to a little bit of the confusion, but sort of kind of teasing it out as to what, what's going on here. Yeah, I can see it. People that jumped in at 53K are probably going to, you know, bail out, but i you know, the, the question becomes how much retail got, got in at 53K. I mean, wh- We've been—I mean, 90% of all the Bitcoin that's ever going to be minted has been minted, right? And back at the time of all-time highs, let's say it was 87%. I mean, all those coins are whole, are are basically, you know, basically already kind of spoken for. And there's some liquidity in the—well, actually, there's a lot of liquidity in the market. But the circulating supply of Bitcoin that actually changes hands is like 2.7 million coins. So subtract that from 87% uh, and then subtract another four, four and a half million for coins that we think are lost. And how much, think about that, think about that number, how much Bitcoin was actually available for sale by newbies or available to buy by newbies, right? It depends. We're going to have to, we're just going to have to see what the hell goes on. We don't know. When Jerome Powell opens his mouth, we'll probably know what happens next. Ugh, this one is killing me, man. Prashant Jha from Coin Telegraph tells us that there are there is 33.5 billion dollars worth of Ethereum trapped in the largest Ethereum contract. Oh my God! I don't normally report on Ethereum and shit coins. But this one, I, when I do, it's because this is like your lesson to stay the fuck away from them. The single largest Ethereum contract containing 8.6 million ether, worth 33.5 billion, is sitting idle because it cannot be spent or sent. A Twitter user highlighted the Beacon Chain contract, claiming it to be the largest Ethereum contract with billions of dollars of worth of e- or worth of ETH trapped inside of it. The contract in question is an Ethereum 2.0 Beacon Chain staking contract launched in November of 2020 and it cannot be spent without a hard fork. What makes this even more astonishing is the fact that the terms of the hard fork are yet to be decided and people sending their ETH into the contract were well aware of that fact. The terms of the hard fork could be decided once the Beacon Chain merges with the Ethereum mainnet. The Beacon Chain is the first key step in Ethereum's move from a proof-of-work mining consensus to proof-of-stake one. In order to become a validator in ETH2, a trader must stake a minimum of 32 Ethereum. Thus, the $33.5 billion worth of Ether in the largest Beacon Chain contract shows the high demand and trust in the upcoming Ethereum 2. (sighs) At the start of December, Ethereum developers called upon community members to test the merger to POS-based ETH2. The testing phase has been divided into three phases, namely for non-technical users, developers with limited experience in blockchain, and highly technical and experienced blockchain developers. The merger of the Beacon Chain into the Ethereum mainnet would complete the transition to POS-ETH2. The official Ethereum.org page for ETH2 suggests the merger could be completed by Q1 or Q2 of 2022. They've been saying that they're going to move to proof of stake since 2015, which was its origination year. And you think that they're actually going to execute again. They have delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And now we come to realize just how much ETH has been staked on the transition from proof of work to proof of stake. That that Ethereum is going to stay there until a hard fork happens, and that hard fork has yet to be defined. Could you imagine putting your savings into a bank that hasn't really even written its charter yet? Like, you kind of got to have a charter as a bank. You, you kind of need one of those things. So, guys, boys and girls, stay away from this crap, buy Bitcoin. Total Bitcoin, because you can use CardCoins. Yeah, CardCoins offers Bitcoin payments over the Lightning Network now. Alyssa Hertig has it from Coindesk. CardCoins, a website that lets users trade prepaid gift cards for Bitcoin, now offers users the choice to receive their BTC over the Lightning Network. The Wyoming-based startup says this new option opens up a new speedy way for users to pay for Bitcoin with cash. Most methods of purchasing Bitcoin, such as buying at an online exchange like Coinbase or Kraken, require a credit card or bank account. Coin or CardCoins users can buy the required prepaid gift cards with cash at over 80,000 stores in the United States. The Lightning Network is a second layer payment that aims to significantly improve Bitcoin's often frustrating main chain experience by making payments faster, cheaper, and more scalable. While Lightning payments are not as widely accepted as normal Bitcoin payments, it's on the uptick. Now that Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador, some companies there, such as McDonald's, are accepting payments sent via Lightning. As of last summer, popular paid newsletter platform Substack began to accept the novel form of payment. Twitter even lets users tip others with Lightning. For CardCoins, adding Lightning support is a matter of ensuring that their users will still have an option to buy Bitcoin on their platform when transaction fees are high, which is an inevitability if the number of people using Bitcoin continues to grow. The Lightning network built on top of Bitcoin has much less expensive fees. Quote, our users make a lot of low value payments and as fees in the Bitcoin network rise, they risk being priced out. With CardCoins, new Lightning integration, our customers can top up their Lightning balances, and make payments without additional on-chain transactions, a CardCoin's representative told Coindesk. A normal Bitcoin transaction, which is typically more expensive than Lightning, is what's known as an on-chain transaction. Some of CardCoin's customers rely on their services, and Lightning can help make sure the services stay cheap even when fees swell. Quote, As a business that primarily serves the banked or unbanked, and cash preferred demographics, it's imperative that our customers can participate directly in the Lightning Network, the representative added. Cardcoins is also a possible method for buying non KYC Bitcoin for users interested in preserving their privacy. Cardcoins requires identifying information to a degree, as the company's compliance policy explains, but for users exchanging up to $500 a week, only a phone number is required. For the privacy minded, it's possible to add a number that isn't strictly tied to an ID. So there you go, Bitcoin marches on no matter what you do. Uh, That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke for you, but it's not from Dad Says Jokes. This one actually comes from Econo Alchemist on Twitter. Apparently, you can't use beef stew as a password. It's not stroganoff. Yeah. That is so blindingly close to a fictional porn star's name. I keep thinking of something like. Uh, beef steak stroking off as a porn star. You know, it just it, hey, it just popped into my head. I, you know, you meme the shit out of it. By the way, Greg, if you're listening, beef cake stroking off. Figure it out, dude. Figure it out. Um, if you want to support the show, please use podcasting 2.0. Uh, go check out Adam Curry. Just just Google or DuckDuckGo, Adam Curry and podcasting 2.0, and you will have all the resources you need to support this podcast in my absolute favorite way to have this podcast supported. That's by watching lightning uh, payments stream into my lightning node without going through Visa, without going through, you know, PayPal, without having to worry about Patreon, even though I've got a page over there, you know, I, 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 appreciate all the support that I've got. I need more. If you have Any particular means to support this show because you like what I do, if I'm bringing you the news so that you don't have to read it on your way to work or on your lunch break or on a walk or while you're gardening or something like that, please consider supporting the show and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.